good morning and welcome to the Porbus Cast. Good morning, Sophia. I'm so excited to speak with you today on this Motivational Monday. Yes, I love our Motivation Mondays. Um, They're special because it's the one day of the week I like to have guests on who are people that I consider inspirational and motivational. And you're certainly someone um, like that for me. And of course, it's Black History Month. So I wanted to make sure that we did two things. One, I want to introduce you to our global listening audience. So we're now live in 15 countries. We have tens of thousands of downloads on uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts and all the other platforms. We're we're really doing great in our our second season, and I'm really excited to have you, Shelly. Um, so my first question out the gate is, uh, Shelly, tell us about why you think Black History Month is something that we should still honor and celebrate. You know, there's a lot of controversy always on uh, Black History Month or Women's History Month or Native American Month. You will have some of our fellow Americans who will say, well, why do we need to have these months set aside? Why don't we just celebrate American history? What are your thoughts on that? Well, let me first say congratulations to you on the success of this podcast. I am so proud of you and you are definitely an inspiration to me and so many others. And uh, for Black History Month, if we didn't point it out and recognize it and keep it at the top of people's consciousness, especially this month for those that don't recognize and celebrate it throughout the year, I think contributions by African-Americans would largely go ignored. We can make the argument and we absolutely know it's true that Black history is American history. You can't have one without the other. But we also know that history belongs to those who wrote it and recorded it. I know as a mother, as you mentioned before, two high schoolers and two elementary schoolers, they have often come home and shared with me their frustrations about not seeing themselves in curriculum. Uh, Even in terms of world history, my oldest daughter has come home very upset several times because she said what you've shared with us about Africa is so different from what we learn in schools. All they talk about is slavery and genocide as if that's the only uh, significant contribution, if you will, that Africa has made to the world. And we know it's so much more than that. And aside from perhaps uh, Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King Jr., those are the only African-American historical figures and leaders really that are promoted in the schools. So if we don't talk about them and highlight them and not just those extraordinary and very accomplished African-Americans, but there are so many um, ordinary African-American men and women who have done wonderful things to help change the course of history, whose names unfortunately are on the verge of being largely forgotten. So it's important that we take this time to point out, you know, what we've done to help make this country what it is. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, Shelly, it goes without saying that this has been a difficult start to a new decade and a new year with our politics. Our nation is deeply divided. Um, And we've devolved into name calling uh, my side, your side. If you don't agree with me, you're a bad person. You're not an American. This isn't your country. And, uh, you know, I'm 50 plus years old now and I'm not old enough to remember the civil rights 
movement because I was born in that time at the end of the 1960s. But of course, like you, I'm a student of history and was an African-American studies minor in college and am what I would consider somewhat of a political activist now in our time. And I'm deeply concerned about what I see uh, about this schism that has occurred uh, in our country, the the rise of white nationalism, people marching in the streets. DC just found themselves with a march over the weekend of white nationalists marching through the street with American flags. Of course, we know what happened here in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. Uh, we know that we're having uh, issues with gun rights here in Virginia uh, and militia have formed. I mean, we're, we're really not in a good place. Uh, what are your thoughts on why it seems that the racial tension is higher than ever. And, and, and what's going on with America right now? You know, that's a really good question. It's something that I have thought about so deeply trying to find the solutions and the answers and the reasons and the rationale why. And I wish I had a better answer. And the only thing that I can come up with is just the rise of or resurgence of very visible um, acts of white supremacy after the election of Barack Obama. You know, it seemed with his historic election, the country was really coming together. And I, among many others, I'm sure, had hoped that Dr. King's words were finally going to come to fruition in terms of all citizens of this country being judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And immediately after his election, it seems like another side went to work to try to not only discredit his legacy and, and any of the accomplishments that he tried to make, but also working through the legal system, um, trying to get judges elected and appointed that would help overthrow so many of the rights that had protected all citizens, you know, especially voter um, voting rights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it is, seems to have been so strategic and so calculated that unfortunately, I think it caught many of us off guard while we were hoping and wishing and, and really believing that the dream had come true, not realizing that a few short years later, we would be living within a nightmare such as this. You know, that's an interesting point. You know, I remember I was covering the Obama White House, of course, after the historic election in 2008 and the swearing in in 2009. And it was certainly one of the great honors that I'm sure I will have throughout my entire lifetime to get to meet the president and first lady, cover them, write stories about them. Uh, two of the most uh, humble, good, kind people you ever want to meet, uh, truly in love with each other, adorable. Um, I'm a fan, which is obvious, and I know as a member of the media, I'm not supposed to be, but you couldn't help but <laughs> like the Obamas. And it was the same thing with the Bushes. You didn't have to like their politics or the Clintons or back to George Herbert Walker Bush, who I interned for while I was in law school. Uh, you know, it, it, none of them, None of them, none of those presidents um, conducted themselves in the manner as the current occupant of the White House. None of them um, ever tore down. They always tried to lift up again. Our politics didn't have to be the same, Shelley, but something ugly has happened in this country over the last several years. And I think you 
you hit a good point. I remember covering the Obamas and one of the terms that was thrown about a lot was post-racial America. I don't know if you remember, everybody's talking about a post-racial American. There was yes. this belief that somehow because we had elected an African-American president, I think particularly for our white brothers and sisters, I think they had a sigh of relief and thought, okay, we fixed this now because we have a black president. And of course, you know, good intentions aside, that's utterly ridiculous. Of course, you can't fix 400 years of uh, racism, Jim Crow, systematic dehumanization of a people, slavery, segregation, etc. with one presidency. And I think that uh, one of the things that concerns me is our current president, and you know, on this podcast, we just call stuff out because this podcast is about all things America. You know, President Trump was a birther. And President Trump was one of the people that started the movement that President Barack Obama was not born here in America and that he was really born in Kenya. And to see the person that did that, to see the person that took out a full page ad against the Central Park Five, to see the person that was sued in the 70s for housing discrimination, to see the person who's called African countries S-hole countries, to see the person who's viciously attacked uh, African-American congresswomen, one of them, our sorority sister, Frederica Wilson and others. Um, it, it's numbing. And I just wonder what your thoughts are. Someone who lives in Texas, Texas, get a lot of news out of Texas, um, you know, <laughs> on a number of things. I'm going to be polite and want to know what you're seeing and what you're hearing on the ground because you travel all over this country. What do people think has happened? I mean, there, there has to be something to happen. Is it Trump or is Trump just a symptom to a deeper problem? That's a great question. Um, in my opinion, I believe it's a symptom of a greater problem. But the right. biggest challenge for us is now that we realize the problem, what do we do to fix it? Right. And right now, there are so many different factions and so many different ideologies on how we can make things better, but without actually bringing people together uh, to talk about how we can affect change in this country. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, what I'm seeing too, have resigned themselves to the fact that there will be another four years of this administration and they feel like that it will be worse because there's no uh, possibility for re-election. So whatever will happen will happen because we can't seem to come together to get ourselves on one clear and organized path. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are loyal to one candidate and if their candidate doesn't make it uh, to the final nomination, then they're out of the game. And we can't afford to be out of the game. We need all players fully participating. You know, there are other divides that are existing within the African-American community with this rise of the um ADOS movement, African descendants of slavery that are trying to cause a divide between those whose um, ancestors were enslaved in America versus those who may have been enslaved abroad. Mm -hmm. And slavery has affected us all, you know, all mm -hmm. people of African descent. Mm -hmm. So in order for us to really make that change, because the other side is united, 
they have their goal and they're moving forward. And while we're over here wandering around trying to see, you know, what we can do if we, if we don't come together, um, you know, I share in that fear that it will be another four years and the president and his followers will be even more emboldened. You know, the sign here in Texas, the signs that I see on trucks and on cars and and just kind of the hate that seems to just veer out of some people is not something that I had seen so prevalent before this administration. And it is quite alarming. It's quite alarming. And it's, you know, it carries over into the, into the children because the children do what they see. Um, so without even fully understanding what's happening in the country, they're forming their own um opinions that uh are creating divisive divisiveness among kids even in elementary school yeah and that scares me for our future yeah i agree with you i couldn't agree more i um i think that again i want to underscore for our listeners all around the world and here in the united states that again on this podcast we talk about everything that impacts america and certainly in black history month we're going to talk about race we're going to talk about racism we're going to talk about solutions we're going to talk about the divide we're going to talk about how we live up to our motto e pluribus unum out of many one and so that kind of segues me to what i really want to get into shelly which is talking about your legendary mom clara looper who was a school teacher uh and a civic leader uh a pioneer truly in the american civil rights movement in oklahoma and I would like you to introduce her to our audience. Uh, Again, every week here and throughout Black History Month, we're going to spotlight uh, somebody throughout Black history uh, who really made a difference. And you talk about a woman who understood her times and that it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to get together and uh, ruminate about it. It's another thing to do something about it. So introduce bit to your mom who was Clara Looper and what did she do that uh, made her such an iconic uh, leader in the black community and in black history well I appreciate you asking me about her you know she truly like so many black women have been unsung heroes for far too long so it is certainly time that she and others receive their due for the work that they did to make our nation and our world better uh, but my mother Clara Looper was born in Okfuskie County in one of Oklahoma's historic all-black towns so she grew up there went to high school in another all-black town Grayson and it's funny she used to always really boast about graduating from the top five of her high school class and then she would add but there were only five of us and she (laughs) talks about um, how her world really changed when she went to college at Langston University and that was the first time you know she had been she was able to uh, have books that pages weren't ripped out of course during her time she was born in 1923 so the schools were not only segregated growing up but very poorly funded so they had the discarded books from the white schools. so the pages were often missing or if they had a microscope it didn't have the lenses it didn't have all of the pieces to it so they couldn't really get a full appreciation of everything that there was to learn and to do or they learned how to make do with things not being as they should I should say but she always believed that things would be better and her uh, attendance at Langston University 
the where she was able to have professors who really inspired her and encouraged her and instilled that belief that yes what you have and who you are you can there's no limit to what you can do so she taught and her first job was at the Oklahoma School for the Deaf and the Blind. And that was the only uh, school that she could get a job at as a Black woman coming out as a teacher. And her undergraduate degree was in uh, mathematics and her minor in history. So she taught there for a few years and then went on to University of Oklahoma uh, right uh, during the time that Ada Loy Sipiel, a Fisher, broke the color barrier at the law school there at the University of Oklahoma. And she was the first African-American to um, graduate from the history department there at the University of Oklahoma. And she talked about not even being able to go into the classroom and she had to have her desk and everything outside of the classroom. But she was a very brilliant woman, brilliant, smart, and it was actually the students who came together toward the end of her uh, master's degree program that realized this isn't right, what we're doing, and actually refused to attend classes unless she was allowed to attend with them. So she's always been a great woman, a bridge builder. And from OU, she uh, taught at Dungy, which was an all-Black school in the Oklahoma City area, and she became the youth advisor for the NAACP Youth Council. She wrote um, a lot of poems and a lot of plays, actually, that she and produced. One even eventually became a movie that she produced later with the University of Oklahoma Film Department. But this particular play was on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and they were invited to perform it in New York City at an event for the NAACP. And so going to New York City, they went the northern route. So the children that were with her, that was the first time that they were able to go and sit into a, a go into a restaurant and sit down and be served and not have to get their food to go or pick it up from around back or where they wouldn't even be able to stop anywhere and would have had to have taken their food with them. And Shelly, the yes. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to stop you there because I want to just have people pause and hear this background, your mother's background is pretty amazing. And the firsthand experience with Jim Crow, uh, like you said, having to pick up your food out back, uh, having books that don't have all the pages in them. And I really want my listeners to just pause and reflect for a moment. Certainly we're living in 2020 now and we can't imagine that anybody would be subject to that in the United States of America. The reality is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Shelly, we still have kids, particularly in the African-American community and communities of color that don't have the right books, that are still living in somewhat segregated conditions, even though segregation was, uh, you know, uh, annihilated by the Supreme Court in Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. There are schools that are, th there's terrible inequality, and in, especially in our public schools. Mm -hmm. And it's my strong belief that a child should have the same access to a quality education, regardless of zip code. And we yep. know for sure that is not the case. Um, I live uh, outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but, you know, even looking within the schools in Dallas, there's vast disparities between the schools there. And it, it's not, 
it's improved obviously I won't say that it hasn't since the time that my mother was there but the inequality that exists then still exists now and it's not something that our kids should still be fighting for in 2020 right and I think it's so important a reason I wanted to spotlight your mom and and have you come on and talk about hers because one the way that you and I connected years ago is you saw a blog that I had written about her uh, during Black History Month and and uh, she is one of the unsung heroes but I pulled up her to me, you know that you have lived a life well and made something of yourself when the New York Times has an obituary for you. And I pulled up her New York Times obituary and the title is Clara Looper, a leader of civil rights sit-ins, dies at 88. And here's what it says. And folks, I want you to Google this amazing woman, particularly the young people that follow and listen. Clara, C-L-A-R-A, Looper, L-U-P-E-R. And here's some of what her New York Times obit says. Her name does not resonate like that of Rosa Parks, and she did not garner the kind of national attention that a group of black students did when they took seats at counter in Greensboro, North Carolina in February 1960. But Clara Looper was a seminal figure in the sit-ins of the civil rights movement. Miss Looper, who led one of the first sit-ins at a drugstore in Oklahoma City 18 months before the Greensboro action, died Wednesday at her home in Oklahoma City. Her daughter said she was 88. Uh, Miss Looper was a history teacher at Dungey High School in 1957 when she agreed to become advisor to the Oklahoma City NAACP's Youth Council. The youngsters asked what they could do to help the movement. On August 19, 1958, Miss Looper led three other adult chaperones and 14 members of the Youth Council into the Cat's Drug Store in Oklahoma City, where they took seats at the counter and asked for Coca-Colas. Denied service, they refused to leave until closing time. They returned on Saturday morning for several weeks. And so I wanted to just, again, encapsulate the story you were telling about mom and, you know, given the backstory, if you will, to this amazing woman and her legacy. And you can pull up this obituary listeners, um, just Google it on the New York Times because it's a lot longer than what I could read here. And there's some great quotes by our sorority sister, Rosalind Brock, who at the time was the national chairwoman of the NAACP. And you just had an amazing mom, Sora Shelley. So I really uh, appreciate you giving this background. Now, what I want to get into about her and the time we have left is what do you think and what did you learn growing up under uh, the tutelage and the love of this amazing woman? Why do you think she decided to do something about it? And since it's Motivation Monday, what things can we learn from your mom's legacy as a, as a champion of civil rights and an activist to do something? G- give us some things you think we can do in our time right now to uh, take a stand against the rise of white nationalism and supremacy in the 21st century and how do we come together and fix education housing um the the wealth gap income disparities um um you know homelessness poverty there are all these big issues right that have been with us forever and they seem to be sticking with us so i want to know you know what mom inspired you to do why was she inspired to take action and what nuggets of wisdom can you give us that you know we can take to try to go out and 
change the country we live in right now? Well, one of the things about her and definitely looking back over her life, what I've come to realize is she was definitely a why not me? Why can't I do it type of person? If there was an injustice in any form, she wasn't afraid to address it, call it out and try to do something about it. She wasn't concerned about who would get the credit. She wanted to get things done. And she also believed in going to the source um, of the struggle. For example, the sanitation workers in Oklahoma City, when they went on strike uh, back in, in the late 19 or early 1960s, asked her to be their spokesperson, which was unheard of for a black woman at that time. And the mayor of Oklahoma City and the city manager refused to recognize her because there was no union at that time of sanitation workers. And they challenged her right to be their spokesperson and flat out refused to address her. Yet the sanitation worker said she speaks for us and she's the only one that can speak for us. And my mother was very persistent, if nothing else. And she persisted her word. She persisted. Never, nevertheless, she persisted. <laughs> and uh, she, when she gave her word and committed to a cause, she would see it through. And at the time, she was teaching uh, in the Oklahoma City public schools that were newly integrated. So she was one of the black teachers or at, at the high school uh, that she was teaching at the time. So her job was threatened. There was a lot on the line. Wow you know, for her, but she stuck with it and spoke and organized on their behalf. She was a great organizer. She could bring people together uh, to the table to make things happen and really bringing public attention to the concern of people. She was very brilliant about that, helping people to realize that the sanitation workers did such hard work that we took for granted. They didn't make a livable wage. Their hours were much longer than anybody should be required to work and in very dangerous conditions. There were no protections for them uh, for such things as, as wild dogs or loose dogs, or there was no requirement for homeowners to have their vicious dogs put away so the sanitation workers were not protected. There was no insurance for them. So all of these things that people didn't realize or just took for granted, she was able to highlight the cause in such a way to rally public support and organize the huge Black Friday march and boycott because she also realized the power of the Black dollar and how as consumers were often taken for granted and we settle for service, you know, that's subpar. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. she made the city realize the impact that the Black community and the Black dollar had and it was uni a unified cause around the sanitation workers. And I've been reading a lot about her work in this context because I didn't even realize it at the time growing up. I knew about Cat's Drug Store and I knew she did a lot of talk about her work with civil rights. She participated in all the marches. She was very close to the King family. Um, so I knew all of that side, but this part of her organizational skills in something as, as the sanitation, which is typically such a male dominated industry. And you think about male leaders and when you think mm -hmm. about the sanitation strike mm -hmm. and especially Dr. King and 
and yep, in, I was in Memphis, go Tennessee. Yes. So um, his his life was taken at that time, and it was centered around the sanitation strike. So she was really doing such revolutionary work that I don't think people have yet to even fully realize to this day. Yeah, I think that's right. And again, I think that um, for me, and I want to segue here as we come to the last five minutes of this podcast, I like to keep them tight and in order so that people are engaged and listening. But um, two things. I wanted to spotlight someone like your mom, because as you said, and as the New York Times led with, although her name wasn't didn't have the fame of a Rosa Parks or a Coretta Scott King or a Daisy Bates or anyone else, she was certainly as integral and as important. In fact, she was a spark, a catalyst of change and of change that, to your point, was literally putting one's life on the line. And I I think to our young people, your daughters, my nieces, um, young African-Americans and and kids of color, uh, I I think that on one hand, Shelly, we've done our job because they have grown up in a world now where they feel like they don't really need to deal with race and racism and that they've had a black president. So they take it for granted that that's normal. You and I both know it's not. Uh, It's not the world we grew up in. So we've made progress. But I think that um, as we wind this down, a couple things. One, I want to get your thoughts on is we're talking about black women and how black women in particular were treated in your mom's day and in our grandmother's day. Fast forward to what happened with Gail King and Snoop Dogg. Um, I was appalled and disgusted, as I assume you were, um, and the lack of support for Gail as a prominent black woman. Um, the network had to be prodded. Uh, it was ironically white men like Willie Geis and Joe Scarborough and others that came to her defense first before the black community. And I kind of just want to get your thoughts on why do we still value black women, it seems, in such a a less than way and we don't defend them when they're attacked particularly you know in media and journalism what are your thoughts on that that is you know unfortunately we can say the more things change the more things stay the same um when we go back and look at the black feminists um, of the 1970s and the work that they did to try to really spotlight the intersectionality of black women in terms of race and gender, we still see the effects of it. And with Gail King and how easily the hate was spewed at her Mm -hmm. and in the language, I don't think that we should not be allowed to Um, criticize or offer concern about lines of questioning but when you start to just completely disrespect someone's humanity Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. make threats and Mm -hmm. and I don't believe that those same words would have been said to a white woman and it's unfortunate that Snoop chose to say those words toward Gail King I think in his first line Gail King, what do you have to gain from this would have been enough. That would have been his critique of the questioning. I think, but to feel so free and emboldened to disrespect her like that, an accomplished Mm -hmm. woman, you know, a seasoned woman in our community, um, it it just, it, it, it really was upsetting to me. And especially coming on the heels of 
Gabrielle Union, who right. has championed so hard for many. Yes. And then for Terry, Terry Crews to then try to discredit uh, her claims. It, it just, again, speaks to how we as Black women are always there for everyone else to help support everyone else's cause. But in the end, who is there for us? Who is there yeah. to support and uplift us? It seems as if we as Black women, all we have is each other. You know, Michelle Obama said that at her amazing Spelman uh, College commencement address back in 2011. And uh, she said, we are all we have. And she's absolutely right about that. But again, I was deeply disturbed, not just by, look, on some level, if we're being honest, we're not surprised that Snoop would be so vulgar and gutter and despicable because it kind of fits his mo right that's the way he well talks. i think he's changed over the years when you look well, at his not. well right well i think it is come out because i think that initially yes when his music came out i would say that was right in line with who he is but he seems to have evolved as a uh father a husband a grandfather a businessman you know doing television and things with Martha Stewart that he had evolved in his own identity and his own way of thinking but clearly those actions showed how easy it was to just revert back to the disrespect of a black woman well I also think again where I was going is um I wasn't surprised a b but what I was taken aback by uh, was the lack of support for someone like Gail. Uh, and Oprah came out and defended her. Of course, they're best friends, but Susan Rice, former ambassador and Obama appointee, came at him pretty hard. People like me spoke up, Jamel Hill. But it was pretty silent, and CBS finally put a statement out. It took them a while. Uh, they were the ones that circulated the clip. Um, their black men were brutal on her. If you go from D.L. Hughley to all of them, they were just, it was ugly. And I think for me, and, and we're going to do another podcast on this. I'm going to have you back and I'm going to get um, a number of sisters on it. We're going to have a conversation about how black women are still treated in this country. And we can talk about how Sora Kamala, her presidential bid collapsed and what role race and intersectionality had in that as well. But I think that, um, you know, I'm concerned about where we are, as I know you are. And I want you to end this podcast with just give me a few things that if your mom were with us right now, looking at the times that we're in, what inspirations, what things can we take from your mother's life? Clara Luper, amazing woman, uh, lived uh, well into her 80s, lived in a tough time to be black in America, particularly in um, the South or the Southwest or the Midwest of this country. So just give us the floor is yours. A couple things you think mom would want us to know about how to get through this moment and what matters. Well, you know, I had the pleasure of hearing Anita Hill not too long ago, and she talked about my mother as a theorist, strategist, and tactician. And one of the quotes that she brought up of my mother's was um, this the following race prejudice degrades the dignity of the individual and is therefore an offense against the human spirit so before people were really talking about the humanity and the oneness were really looking at race she had already moved beyond race and gender and just looked at the humanity of the individual and I thought that that was 
so powerful um, the way that she presented that quote of hers. And I know that my mother would want us to continue to find the humanity in all of us, those that we love and those that we seem to find unlovable because of the issues with race prejudice. Yeah, I've had a hard time myself even wondering, can we all get along? You know, um, are there good people of the white community that will really boldly stand up for Black Americans or anyone that they see is um, being treated unfairly? And I was flipping through one day when I was really bothered, her book, um, Behold the Walls, And she talked about going to Selma. And when she got um, off of the plane, there were some police there. And they came up to her uh, very rough and questioning her about her presence there in Selma. And there were two um, white young ladies who happened to be nearby. They did not know my mother. And they stopped the policeman and said, Please leave her alone. She's our mother. She's with us. She's just trying to make sure that we get home safely. And the police officer said, you're their mother. And my mother just went along with it and said, yes. And so the policeman said, well, if you're their mother, who's their father? And my mother paused for a moment and looked up and said, God. And, you know, she really threw the policeman with that. He didn't have have a snappy comeback. So he was kind of like, what is the world coming to if the Lord is messing around with Negroes now? <laughs> and um, that he left. And, oh. and, and my mother never saw those girls again. So it just for me, re- that I read it gave peace to my soul to know that it is possible for us to stand in the gap for one another. And if we're truly going to affect any change in this world, in this country, and in our own communities, we have to do it with the spirit of togetherness, a spirit of love, a spirit of family, and with the spirit of believing, yes, God is all of our fathers. <laughs> and with you know, that, I, that uh, connects our humanity. I th- Right. I think, uh, folks, and I I know that this podcast has run a little long, but it's worth it. It's Black History Month, so we're going to talk about these things, and I don't want to ever cut my guests short. I want to give them a chance to really help to educate us. Remember what this podcast is all about. It's about the e pluribus unum, the many of us becoming the one of us. And I think that we've had a good dialogue here about how challenging that can be, but how civility and humanity are the great elixir if you will for healing and if you were not able to watch the Oscars last night I want to commend you two speeches Renee Zellweger's speech who won best actress and Joaquin Phoenix's speech who won best actor for Joker and get past the politics of it which I thought both of them were very gracious and they never called out any names and they didn't get into that kind of thing But listen to what they both said. Uh, One, a Texan, Renee Zellweger, uh, been on our radar for many decades. Joaquin of Phoenix, of course, uh, comes from a family of actors, his brother River Phoenix. Uh, We all remember him if we're over 50, uh, over 40, 50, we remember him. um, Lost way too soon. But both of them had speeches that touched on exactly what our guest here has said today about the only way we're going to get through this is if we rise to what's best in us. When we see a fellow human being being attacked, demeaned, 
violated. You got to get involved. You can't look the other way. You can't run in the other direction. You might not be able to get into a fight. Nobody's telling you that. You don't need to pull a weapon. What you need to do is find the humanity and find a way to give that person an escape hatch, to reach out, to extend your hand, to say, hey, this is a friend of mine, or I know this person. Uh, sometimes we have to do what John Lewis says, Shelly, and get into good trouble, as he likes to call it. And yes. I think your mom got into good trouble. And um, as I think about her life, a life that I've studied uh, for years as well, as I look at particularly black female role models, um, unsung heroines who did things that at their time literally could cost them their lives, their livelihood, your family. Um, we owe them more than I think what we're doing right now. And so I really thank you for what you do um, in Texas, what you do traveling all around the country and the globe for Alpha Kappa Alpha. Uh, you have a lot on your plate. Uh, you're raising four kids. You have a marriage. You have a busy life. And yet you're engaged. And I think that, um, Shelly, one of the things that uh, I talk about my last book, Eplorbus, one that the founding fathers really, really needed us to do. It was to be engaged and informed citizens. And so I thank you for the work you do. I thank you for the life of your amazing mother. And just thanks for stopping by uh, with us today. Do you have any parting thoughts you want to share with our audience before we go? I appreciate you and see you so much as a bridge builder, bringing people together um, with more people like you, not afraid to have these crucial conversations. Uh, as you like to say, I, I think that we can, I still have faith that we can make this world a better place. And as my mother used to say every night before I went to bed, if it didn't happen today, don't worry. Tomorrow is another day. I love that. And I uh, certainly love you, Soror. So we will talk again soon. Thank you for stopping by the Corpus cast. We'll make sure when we get it all edited and ready to go and ready for our listening audience that we get you a copy so you can share as well. Thank you so much, Ellie. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.